Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Many thousands of years ago, God called a wealthy Middle Easterner named Abram to leave his Mesopotamian home in the ancient Near East and to travel away to a land he would show him. He was a wealthy man, but he obeyed and he left. He had never seen the land that God promised to him. All he had at that moment was the bare promise of God. That's it. And on the basis of that promise, he left his comfortable home and moved westward, southward to the land that God promised him. God had promised to Abram, not only would he have this land, but his descendants would multiply, be like the stars of the sky or be like the sand on the seashore, and they would fill this land. So not only a land, but descendants. Abraham, when he received the promise, was 75 years old about. His wife, 65. She had been barren her whole life. And now is past the age of childbearing. It was very unlikely that she would have a child that Abram would ever have even a single grandchild, much less descendants like the sand on the seashore to fill this land. And yet, all that being true, Abram left his home to go to a land he had never seen, of which he owned not a single rock on the basis of a promise about descendants when he had not a single child and no human earthly prospect of a child. Having only the promises of God, he left everything and he went westward. It's not an easy thing. You would think that God would fulfill that promise quickly for someone who had sacrificed so much, but God did not. Five years passed, then 10. Now his wife, Sarah, it's not 65, she was 75. Another 10 years pass, she's 85, he's 95, he becomes 100 years old, a whole century, she's 90 years old. They are, as the New Testament says, as good as dead, it's the New Testament, and Abraham knew that about himself, a dead womb, and greatly aged, and yet he had based his entire life upon a promise of descendants. Abraham was not perfect in his faith. You may remember the story that at one point in that 25-year span, when no child was forthcoming, that his wife Sarah gave Abram, now named Abraham in faith, a child of a multitude, gave Abraham her servant, said, have a child through her and it will be like I had a child and God fulfills his promise. Abraham believed God would fulfill his promise. He just didn't think God could do it in the way he said as if God had overcommitted in what he had said. And so he gave birth to Ishmael through his servant. God appeared to him again and said, no, I've promised you will have a child through Sarah. And Abraham, believing, but it was difficult, and he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I believe you will give me descendants, but surely it'll be through Ishmael. I mean, we're almost 100 years old. Abraham didn't doubt God would keep his promise, but he did think it would be very difficult for God to do, so he tried to help him. He believed. God help his unbelief. And then his wife at 90 years old, barren her whole life, conceived. And she gave birth to a child named Isaac. 
God had kept that promise and so now we think Abraham has come to the end of his trials of faith and he's believed. But there was one more trial greater than all the rest. And in Genesis 22, we read, after these things, that is after a hundred years, after so many decades of trusting the Lord, when it seemed impossible, after this, there was God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 25 years of trusting the Lord for this child against all probabilities and the child is finally given at 100 years of age. Sarah is 90. The child is growing up and now God says, sacrifice the child on Moriah. And Abraham obeys. Abraham was perplexed by this. How will God keep his promise? He has no grandchildren. This is his only son through Sarah. And it's unlikely to have another one. And yet, the best summary of Abraham's attitude in this almost impossible situation is given to us by Paul in Romans chapter 4. It says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. Meaning, against hope. All odds, all likelihood, and all probability. And yet the New Testament tells us Abraham believed God could even raise the dead. Which is what would have to happen if he sacrificed his son, the heir of the promise. And yet Abraham believed God and went to the mountain. He would not have to sacrifice his son. It was only a test. He didn't know that, of course, or it wouldn't be a test. And yet in hope, he believed against hope. Despite all odds, he believed Christ today is calling you to a faith not less than Abraham's, to a faith very much like Abraham's, that in hope you would believe against hope. You are here to believe that Jesus of Nazareth, a man who lived on the earth 2,000 years ago, died and then three days later resurrected from death. You have never seen someone resurrect from death. It is unlikely. It's improbable. Most would consider it impossible. It is against all odds. And yet, if you are to be a true Christian, you must not only believe that, but leave Mesopotamia, leave your comfortable home, renounce all that you own, and base the entirety of your life upon that fact being a fact. That is what it is to be a Christian. You'll base your life on faith in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. But that is in hope to believe against hope, because that's very unlikely. It's not an easy thing. It's not something you've seen. And yet if you're to be a Christian, you must, like Abraham, venture out on faith in the God who has made the promises. Or, to put another example, you must venture out in faith like the two disciples we've been considering in Luke chapter 24 on their way to Emmaus. They are struggling. They are doubting. They are, we will see next week, slow in heart to believe, but they will believe. Jesus will help them to believe. All of you who are here today, 
If you venture out after Christ, but feel your faith to be small, much less than you wish that it were, not some great faith like Abraham's on Mount Moriah sacrificing his child, but if you feel your faith to be small, then God offers to you today in this text a sort of fire by which you can bring your cold and limp, weak faith and allow it to be warmed and to grow because we are following two disciples just like us who begin with a very weak faith, but are walking toward Emmaus, Jesus with them. And as we see today, this is their starting place. It is a tension of believing, hoping, but it's against hope and therefore doubting. Is that where you are? With Christianity and with Christ. I believe, I doubt, but I hope, but it's against hope. It's difficult. If that's where you are, God provides this text to show you the way that he deals with such people. And spoiler alert, it's very gracious. It's very kind. He walks with you and helps your faith to grow. And that's precisely what's going to happen in our text. So you remember from last week, Jesus is walking after his resurrection with two of his disciples. They are talking about his death And the women who went to the tomb didn't see his body there. These two disciples, Cleopas and another, are walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem discussing these things. And along comes a stranger. It's Jesus who has hidden his identity from them. They're talking about these things that happened in Jerusalem. And so Luke 24 verse 19 begins like this. And he, Jesus, said to them, What things? Are you talking about that happened in Jerusalem? What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, they believe it, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and here's the disappointment, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, at the tomb early in the morning, excuse me, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. This is a nice brief retelling of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. In a sense, this is the whole gospel of Luke in just a few verses. And those who are talking about these things, they are Jews. They are descendants of that man Abraham who never should have had descendants. Their very existence is evidence that God can keep his promises even when it is against hope, even when it seems impossible. When it's against all the odds, they wouldn't exist if God did not keep his promises. And throughout the Old Testament, God had promised that when his Messiah came, 
he would not abandon him to Hades. His flesh would not see corruption. That is, on the third day, he would rise again to life. That's the promise that these two disciples are wrestling with. Will they believe it? The answer is, not at first, but eventually yes. And again, this is important because if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your life. You are called to believe some very difficult things, including what they're wrestling with here. Could Jesus have resurrected from death? You are given an example in this text, and I'll tell you, it is not the example of these two disciples. That's a bad example. In fact, next week in verse 25, Jesus will call them foolish ones and slow to believe. You don't want to be that. But although you don't want to be that, that's where many of us at times are. Or that's where many of us begin on our walk with the Lord or sink into at different times. But really the example here is the example of Jesus Christ, an example of infinite patience for those who want to believe but struggle to do it. You'll see that in this text. Jesus is walking with these men of little faith. He's going to walk with them, stick by them until they do believe. But this is where they start. They start not hoping in Jesus, but verse 21, they had hoped in the past. And now that hope has been disappointed. If that's where you are this morning, you had hoped in Christ, following him, first come to him, it's exciting, and now your spirits drop. You feel disillusioned, discouraged, or your faith feels small, Or the facts of Christianity seem so improbable, you wonder about them. If that's where you are, this is a text for you. Didn't have to be here, but it is. And it's for us who struggle with little faith. Therefore, we're going to look at this text in two parts, because that's the way it's presented to us. The retelling of Jesus' life, death, resurrection by these two disciples begins with Jesus' life and death, where they express a desire to believe but also doubt. And then it moves halfway through on to Jesus' supposed resurrection, where again you see desire to believe, but there's also doubt, which is often where we find ourselves. So let's follow Luke's story, really the story of these two men that Luke retells for us. So first, let's consider these disciples just like us The first day of the resurrection, as they talk about the life and death of Jesus, Jesus has just asked them what things took place in Jerusalem. He knows he's testing them. And in their answer, you find what we can call hope in tension. Tension. Within tension. They are hoping But there's such a paradox here, they can't get their mind around, and so they're also not hoping. They're hoping and not hoping. They're believing and not believing. You can see this when they start answering Jesus' question, verse 19. They're talking about the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Here's their description of him. He was a man who was, not who claimed to be. Notice the belief. They don't doubt this. He was a prophet. Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. That's faith. But here's the doubts. We're also talking about how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This summary that they tell shows faith and unbelief. Look at the parts that are faith. Jesus was a prophet. Prophets were those who were sent by God to speak the words of God. And these two who are walking on the way have no doubt that that is precisely what Jesus is. In this sense, they're agreeing with the majority of the globe today. Islam and Christianity are the two largest world religions. Both regard Jesus as at least a prophet. They can consent to that. They don't say he claimed to be from God speaking the words of God, but rather they believe he really was from God speaking the words of God. So there is a sense of faith here. Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, they believed the confirmation of him as a prophet, which is what they say here, he was mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. He had worked many miracles and these were meant to confirm that he was from God, speaking the words of God. And those who beheld this, all the people, including these disciples, they did believe. Jesus worked many miracles, just like he told the messengers of John the Baptist. The blind received their sight. And the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Two of them in Jesus' ministry. And the poor have good news preached to them. Never did anyone, on the other hand, ever speak like Jesus spoke. He's mighty in his deeds. He's healing. Raising the dead. Exercising demons. He's mighty in his words. They're confessing this about him. It's true. He's mighty in his words. With a word, demons flee. And with a word, a tempestuous sea is immediately calmed. I don't know if these disciples were there for any of those events. But they had seen plenty of healings, plenty of exorcisms, enough to believe this is a prophet. So there is faith. They're not hostile. They're not the religious leadership discrediting him. So here's their faith. And it goes thus far but no farther. Because very obvious in our text is also doubt. Starts really in verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. These disciples also stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is the crucifixion of Jesus. That's why they said they had hoped. They're not saying we hope he is the one to redeem Israel. They're saying they had in the past while he was not dead. At that point, they had hoped. At that point, they had faith. They were trusting in him, but now he's dead. And with him died their hope. So they're not hoping now. They're doubting. They've not fully given up. They're still talking about these things, and they're perplexed about these things, but it's not a confidence that this has happened, a resurrection has happened, just like the Old Testament predicted and Jesus himself had said. They are sort of like those who see men like trees walking. They see dimly, but their eyes are not fully restored yet. That's what their faith is like. In some ways, they are like Abraham, in hope, believing but against hope, against all the odds, and their faith struggles. Look, you know that you and I are much like these people many times. 
so relevant. It's so refreshing even to read, even though they're failing. But we fail. It may have been this way for you. It might be that you could say you had hoped in Jesus and in Christ and Christianity. You had hoped in the past and you're still open to hoping. Still sort of hoping, but you've been disappointed. They had hoped he was going to redeem Israel, kick out the Romans, establish an earthly kingdom. He didn't do it. So now why were we following him? What does this mean? They've not stopped being disciples. There's still two of them, two of the disciples, but they've been disappointed by the way that this has all played out. That could very well be where you are. It could either be a disappointment with Christianity, a disappointment with Christians, it's more often the case. Could be also that you look at the claims of the Bible and you think these are very improbable claims. A talking snake, a talking donkey, a resurrected man, and especially in our modern scientific age, you struggle with these things. So you hope, you believe, but you struggle fully to believe. And you ask, what hope is there for you? If that's where you are right now. And I would say there's as much hope for you as there was for these two disciples. And you're going to see Jesus sticks with them until they believe, until their hearts are warmed by the truth. And Jesus is not at all against walking with you until you come to that place too. He came for sick people. You feel sick spiritually? He came for you. And he walks with you until you believe. You say, not me though, because I've sinned against the light. I've learned so much. I have so much knowledge. It's filled my head. I know so much good theology. I'm held to such a high degree, such a responsibility and accountability for all that I've been granted to know. And yet I still feel like I have such a small faith. I'm like an apostate. I'm certainly cast away from God, cast away from Christ. No. Does your faith look like their faith? We had hoped. We had hoped. But they don't hope anymore. You're going to see in the weeks ahead just how Jesus treats these sort of people. He rebukes them, okay? It's not good if you have little faith. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Jesus is very good. And he's very gracious and he's very patient with those who want to believe but are struggling to do it. You've not even seen Jesus in the flesh. They literally saw him in the flesh do miracles. If anyone was going to commit the impardonable sin, it'd be them. They saw it. They rejected it. They're doubting it. And yet, even for them, there's great hope. How much more for you? What Isaiah prophesied of Christ must have its fulfillment in the way he treats you, just like them. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 40 of his book, that Jesus would tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs, that's you, that's you, if you're a believer, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will, when you fall down or, or injured, carry you in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Or two chapters later, this prophecy must be fulfilled as well. Isaiah 42 when the Messiah comes, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Are you a bruised reed? It's a reed. It's bruised in the middle. If you just barely tap it, it's going to break in half. It's going to bend right over. 
Is that you? Jesus will not bend that over. He will not break that. He's so gentle in how he handles you that even if it's a bruised reed, it won't break. Do you feel like your faith is nothing more than a faintly burning wick? It's at the very bottom. The wax is gone. It is about to go out. It just takes a little puff of air. Jesus will not blow a puff of air on that wick. He will not extinguish that little faith that you have. Just one one one-hundredth of a mustard seed. He's not going to blow that out. How do we know that? Well, it's prophesied and look at these two disciples. They failed. Their faith was small. And you know who's still walking with them? Jesus is still walking with them. He did it for them. Say, well, now he's ascended in heaven and things are different. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did it for them. He will do it for you. So, Luke has shown us what they recount of Jesus' life. He was a prophet. Good. Also, his death. We had hoped, but now he's dead. You see some of that same tension as we move now to the resurrection, which they've heard from the women, but don't yet fully embrace. It's faith and unbelief together. Start midway here through verse 21. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. We saw that. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us, the male disciples, went to the tomb found it just as the women had said, but him, Jesus, they did not see. You can almost sense here how much they want to believe. These are not like the leaders who are hostily set against it. That may not be where you are, hostile against the gospel, but you may be where they are, wanting to believe, but they're not there yet. They're not there yet. They're retelling the resurrection account that we have just read in Luke. We saw that those women came, Mary Magdalene and the others, early on the third day. The stone was rolled away, much to their surprise. Jesus' body was not inside. Angels appeared and said, he's risen, just like he said, go tell the other disciples. So they went to do that, and they tell the other disciples. Luke tells us that Peter... But the Gospel of John says Peter and John, and that's why you have they, some of our number, went. Peter and John run to the tomb, and they look in, and sure enough, just as the women had said, it is empty. The women were not wrong. So that's what they retell. But you know when you're reading this, these Emmaus disciples, they're not outright denying the claim of the women. They don't say it didn't happen anywhere. But they also don't say that it did happen. They say they told us this happened, and even that there were angels that said he was alive, but notice the way they end it. Okay, the disciples who went, it was the way the women said, nobody, but him, Jesus, they did not see. They're not saying he didn't rise. They're not saying he did. They're just saying there was no body, it doesn't mean he rose because they didn't see him. 
Really, their summary of their own response explains it all. It says, when the women told them this, they were what? Amazed. Not believing, not worshiping that God kept his promises. They were simply amazed that these women, whom they knew so well, were telling them these things. Some women of our company amazed us. Didn't convince us, they amazed us. So there's the seedling of faith there, in that they were amazed. They didn't just brush it off. They are amazed that they're saying that. And when the other disciples went, they did find it just as they had said. That's suggestive, maybe. So there's a seedling of faith, of wanting to believe. But there are rocks in the dirt that are keeping the seedling from growing. There are major doubts there as well. You can see that, but him they didn't see. (laughs) Or even more firmly, if you went back to verse 11, you remember when the women first told this to the disciples, It says, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. True of the 11, almost certainly true of these two as well. The women's report's amazing. Yes. It was confirmed by the other disciples. Yes, but where's Jesus? Do we really believe he's risen from the dead? His body could have been stolen. This is true. We haven't seen him yet. The women could have hallucinated or imagined in their desire that they saw Jesus when really they didn't. Maybe they saw, or that they saw angels when they didn't. Maybe they saw someone dressed in a certain way and mistook it for an angel. Who knows? The question is really this. And this is what they're wrestling with under different terms. Could God really cause a 90-year-old doubly barren woman to have a child? That's the question. The age-old question. I mean, this is a woman, Sarah, eating off the senior citizen's menu, not having children. You don't have children at that age. The odds are against it. If you're going to hope in that, you're going to hope against hope. It's unlikely. It's improbable. As much as someone rising from the dead, can they believe that? Just like these men, Abraham had not always believed perfectly. He did believe, but not perfectly As the years rolled on, however, for Abraham, just like these disciples walking on the road with Jesus, as Abraham walked with the Lord, we're told that his faith, against all odds, against hope, grew stronger and stronger and stronger, which is what will happen to these as well. Paul tells us this, that Abraham, just like these men are going to see later, he did not weaken in faith. I'm telling you, with Jesus' help, this can be you, I promise. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. I didn't make that up. There it is. Since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced God is able to do what he had promised. So the child comes, but then God says, sacrifice the child. Surely now Abraham's faith will fail? No, we read this in the hall of faith in Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. There's the promise. But Abraham considered God was able even to raise 
Isaac from the dead. And that is the question for the Emmaus disciples as they're wrestling with doubt. Is God able even to raise the dead? Abraham's faith, not perfect, was tested. It grew and he came to the place on Moriah where he believed, even if I have to follow through with sacrificing my beloved son, God in keeping his promise, will raise him from the dead. And now, these two descendants of Abraham, heirs of the promise, are walking with Jesus, and they have to answer the same question. Can we really believe that God can even raise Jesus from the dead? And here you are, seated now, 2,000 years afterward, as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is the question upon which your eternity hangs as well. Can you really believe... That God can raise the dead. Maybe you can't believe that now. Maybe you don't. Maybe you struggle with that. In your darker moments, which you confess to no one, perhaps that is a struggle for you. And if it is, I tell you, Abraham was a very imperfect man, but by God's enabling, he was able to believe. These two disciples begin with an incredibly weak faith, but by Christ's assistance, you'll see, they come to believe. And you as well, with a faith a lot like them, even if you're, like Jesus will say, sorry, foolish ones, and slow in heart to believe all that God has promised, you may be slow, it doesn't mean that you've stopped. You may be slowly Coming to a stronger faith. That's what Christ is willing to bring us to. Like Paul we say on him. On Christ we've set our hope. That he will deliver us from what? From unbelief. And deliver them is just what Jesus is going to do in the next few weeks. And we are going to see that. Their heart will go from cold and faithless. What it is now. Open to belief but not there. To the point where it will literally burn within them. Because they so firmly believe that the scriptures are fulfilled and Jesus is raised from the dead. And why should your story not be the same? You may have a weak faith now. Sure, that's fine. That's where you're starting from. This is where they're starting from. But Jesus is walking with them, so they're not going to stay there. And you don't have to stay there either. With Christ's help, that's why this text is here. It doesn't have to be here. It's here for you. You feel like your faith is weak? With Christ's help, as he helps us to understand the truth of his word, we come to a place of believing. And you may this morning be at a place where you say, Christianity's disappointed me. Christians have disappointed me. I'm not sure if I believe I want to, but do I? You can say, well, I had hoped. And Christ will walk with you until you can say, I do hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given to us in your gentle shepherding kindness as your rod and your staff. You've given to us this text. It's not a text to skip over as a mere summary, but you want us to know that these two disciples, the first witnesses in Luke to the risen Lord, that they really didn't believe at the beginning. It was such a small faith. But you didn't abandon them. You didn't cast them into hell. You could have. But you proved that these two smoldering wicks you would not put out. These two bruised reeds you would not break. 
And I know that you do not change, therefore we are not consumed. And you are gracious to your people today. I pray for any who are here who are perhaps on the very cusp of believing, of salvation, but are not there yet, feel that they are not able to believe hard enough, firmly enough, or to continue in the way, I pray you would show them salvation is of the Lord. And you are willing, eager and willing to walk with them so that they may believe and be saved. And for your people, those who are of little faith, Lord, I pray you'd help them. Help us when our faith wavers and is small. Help us to grow strong in faith. Why? So that like Abraham, we might be giving glory to God. Please grant this for the sake of your great name. Amen. Amen.